Welcome to this week's episode of Cliff Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Coming out of the pandemic, we have a lot to talk about with the economic climate and of great interest to all of us, the manufacturing climate. I am going to title this week's episode, today's episode, Manufacturing Speed Bumps, because we raced out of the gate and we are now seeing a whole rash of speed bumps, which is making the path of recovery questionable. Here's the plan of action for me to impart the picture to you. I'm going to start with the broad economic climate, the latest GDP reports. That is gross domestic product. For those of you who perhaps do not know, that's the broadest measure of economic growth. Then I'm going to look at the, of course, the latest industrial production report from the Federal Reserve. That tells us what the latest numbers on U.S. manufacturing growth are, and we're going to relate the two. Obviously, manufacturing depends a lot on the broad economic climate, and we'll tie the two together. We want to look at job openings, all of a sudden the labor market and the inefficiencies and the dissonances in the labor market has become a big issue. We have to look at that in manufacturing. Then we're going to talk about the very hot, the very worrisome issue lately of inflation, and we'll talk about what's going on with goods inflation. How is our goods prices making a contribution to the disconcerting inflation numbers that have come out recently? Then I'll take you to the most recent Institute for Supply Management report. Remember, that's the oldest survey indicator of the United States. It's valuable for sort of seeing the short-term outlook for U.S. manufacturing next two or three months or so. And we'll, I'll offer a comment or two about the outlook and a caveat of, of the outlook. And that's the way I'm going to impart the, uh, the picture at this very critical moment when we start to see Maybe we're seeing sunlight on the pandemic, and maybe the economy is getting past these horrible pandemic months. Let's start with 2020, a year we'd all rather forget. Gross domestic product in the United States contracted by a hefty 3.5% in 2020. 2020 gave us the worst economic performance since the Great Depression of the early 1930s. No surprise, we slammed the door on the economy to prevent the spread, or at least to arrest the spread, of what was a dangerous virus. But monetary stimulus of the kind that we saw in the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, and remarkable fiscal stimulus of the kind that we have not seen since the Great Depression, brought the U.S. economy back to a well above trend annualized growth rate of 4.3% in the fourth quarter of 2020 and a rare bounce, an even rarer bounce of 6.4% in the first quarter of 2021. Now, we certainly can forget <laughs> about the 33.4% growth in the third quarter of 2020, but of course, that pulled us out of the deep hole created by a 5% decline in GDP in the first quarter of 2020 
and the 31.4% decline in the second quarter of 2020. In sum, the American economy since the beginning of 2020 has been whipsawed like almost all of us have never seen in our lifetimes. If there's confusion, it's well-earned confusion. We have never seen numbers go up and down this fast on the broad economic climate. In the first quarter of 2021, we'll get back to that because that's the concern going forward right now, growth was catalyzed by the consumer, who was in turn catalyzed by stimulus checks, and really powered the economy forward. On an annualized basis, personal consumption expenditures, that's the total spending of the consumer, accelerated from 2.3% in the fourth quarter of 2020 to 10.7% in the first quarter of 2021. Equipment investment, a critical driver for U.S. manufacturing, stayed strong in the first quarter of 2021, but it nonetheless slowed from 25.4% in the fourth quarter of 2020 to 16% in the first quarter of 2021. In the first quarter of 2021, exports of goods, also greatly important to the very global U.S. manufacturing sector, slowed from 31.4% growth in the fourth, fourth quarter of 2020 to a decline of almost 1% in the first quarter of 2021, although imports of, of goods also slowed from 31.4% in the fourth quarter to 5.5% in the first quarter. Housing investment, which was very much on fire during the worst of the pandemic, slowed dramatically from almost 37% in the fourth quarter to almost 11% in the first quarter of 2021. Housing indirectly affects manufacturing. Think about a house in the suburbs. You walk into the average house in the suburbs, and you can see the output of 30 or 40 different manufacturing industries. So the strength of housing also matters greatly to the manufacturing sector. Now, from this broad look, with exports really slowing, with some slowing in equipment investment, and with housing investment, which was on fire really slowing, it's not hard to see the reasons, the demand-side reasons, why manufacturing really slowed, and indeed it did. After rocketing, rocketing out of a deep hole in the third quarter of 2020, with a 57.5% annualized growth rate in the third quarter of 2020, U.S. manufacturing growth managed to stay at an impressive 12.4% in the fourth quarter of 2020, but then slowed fairly dramatically to 1.2% on an annualized rate in the first quarter of 2021. The U.S. manufacturing sector has confronted a number of speed bumps after rocketing out of that deep hole. These speed bumps are very conveniently for me as, as in explaining it to you, are very much on display in the April industrial production report from the Fed. The Fed in April reported that U.S. factory output growth was a moderate 0.4% 
led by 1.3% growth in the non-durable sector. Non-durable strength was primarily due to outsized performance in chemicals and petroleum as factories that sustained weather-related damage from that horror story in and around Texas in February managed to finally come back online. Now, much as the strength in non-durables with chemicals and petroleum, the weakness in durable goods came from a fall of four, uh, and the durable goods in total fell by a moderate 0.4%, but the weakness was mostly due to what I would call an alarming 4.3% contraction in auto output, a 4.3% contraction in auto output in April. This, folks, the strongest evidence yet of the impact of an increasingly damaging semiconductor shortage. Autos are a high-impact industry segment with long supply chains and large spillover effects. The chip shortage is thus, at least even through autos, is thus uh, a, a damn, you know, a threat to the entire manufacturing outlook. But of course, we know that chips are used in many things besides autos, electronics, computers, and there was a lot of them spent. Uh, in our very stay-at-home lives during these, the, the pandemic. But the chip shortage is threatening all of manufacturing, the entire manufacturing output outlook, including jobs. The job impact of the chip shortage was well on display in the April employment data. The U.S. manufacturing sector as a whole lost 18,000 jobs in April, primarily due to a loss of 27,000 jobs in autos. On the demand side, just looking at the demand, the strength of demand right now, that actually doesn't make sense. Demand's booming. But supply, it's showing us that supply issues right now are more apparent in the outlook and in the current picture for manufacturing than are demand issues. It's a rare circumstance. It's been decades since anybody can make that statement. Also, we seem to have, although it's, it's, the discussion about this has been somewhat sloppy, somewhat oversimplistic, we seem to have what can loosely be called a labor shortage. It's not really a shortage of labor. It's really a, a failure of labor markets to clear. The people are there, but they're just not taking the jobs at the wage rates that are going now. In manufacturing, if you look at the NFIB survey of small business, which is monthly and quarterly data, which is monthly data going back to the mid-80s and quarterly data going back to the early 70s, you can look at data for small manufacturing. Tells you a lot. Small manufacturing, uh, the number, the percent of small manufacturer company respondents who said that they have a position that they can fill, at least one position, that they simply can fill, has been the highest, is now at the highest since 1974, when the survey that generated these data began. This comes even as hiring plans for small manufacturing companies spiked to well above a pre-pandemic level. 
Obviously, there's, it's not so much a shortage, but there is a failure of the labor market to work and to resume its normal path in, the, in these post-pandemic months. Amidst the fall in – let's look broader. The, the NFIB survey is very useful for looking at small manufacturers. Small manufacturers are playing a, a, a bigger and bigger role in employment in the manufacturing sector. But let's look at bigger numbers. The Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it told us that amidst the fall in manufacturing employment in April, job openings in March, and it's, it's lagged by a month, rose to 706,000 from 500, it took a big jump, it's from, to 706,000 from March, from 572,000 in February and 537,000 in January. There's a lot of demand for labor in the manufacturing sector, even though labor slipped and the number of job openings slipped. So that, along with the NFIB, very good NFIB data on small manufacturing, are telling us that the failure of the labor market to work is another supply chain issue that is threatening the manufacturing recovery, along with the serious chip shortage and the shortage in other things as well, lumber, resins. Uh, petrochemicals. It's, it's a whole range of shortages in a supply chain that was knocked on its side by a crash and a rocket all within a quarter or two in 2020 that sort of brought out a number of things that have been building for years. The semiconductor shortage did not just start during the pandemic. We've underinvested in, in semiconductors, and it's showing itself now. Um, one consequence of the, uh, of, of all these difficult supply chain issues is the issue of inflation. Now, financial markets generally, as we all know, have been roiled lately by the re- recent reading on consumer price inflation, the broadest measure of inflation pressures in the U.S. economy. That, of course, showed that at a year-over-year basis, The consumer price inflation jumped from 2.6% in March to 4.2% in April. That's a big jump. The the debate is on now whether we're beginning to see an inflation spiral or just a readjustment of a difficult set of supply issues um, post-pandemic. But one thing is clear, manufacturing, manufacturing has certainly been making its contribution to these worrisome um, inflation data. On it, for example, on a year-over-year basis, the producer price index for total manufacturing industries rose from 4.1% in February to 8.1% in March to 12.6% in April. You can see inflation pressures spiraling, spiraling through a difficult supply chain situation where the labor market isn't functioning, where we have serious shortages of things that are needed in a multitude of products that are affecting industry industry segments like autos that have big, long legs and lots of spillovers. And you can get the picture of a manufacturing sector that, in spite of being blessed by strong demand, more often policy-stimulated demand, cannot has a supply system that at the moment really is um, not functioning. And the price pressure remains in the manufacturing pipeline. 
In the NFIB survey, the net percent of small manufacturing companies who plan to rise, raise prices in the, quote, next three months has risen to the highest level since 1980. So the price pressures that are manifesting themselves from supply chain difficulties doesn't look like it's going to go away very fast, at least in the manufacturing sector. Let's get, as, as we start to consider what, what we will conclude about the short-term outlook, let's get to the Institute for Supply Management April report that I always cover in all podcasts. The Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing Survey, Survey of Purchasing Managers, is the oldest survey indicator in the United States. It goes back to 1931, and it's very valuable. It doesn't measure in any way manufacturing growth but it gives you an idea of where the manufacturing sector may be going short-term, the next two or three months. The April ISM report has shown that the remarkable divide between brilliantly booming demand and troubled supply remains. Demand was once again red hot in the April um, uh, report, although it did pull back. The Purchasing Managers Index pulled back a few points, so it's still very strong, 60.7%. New orders, the New Orders Index slipped, but it slipped from 68 to 64, still remarkably strong. And production slipped by a lot, by 5.6 percentage points, but that managed to stay above 62.5%. But the, even with the, this some, some slippage in the strength of demand, although still remaining at torrid levels, the percent of respondents in the Institute for Supply Management report who reported slower supplier deliveries, slower supplier deliveries in April only slipped to 75% from 76.6% in March. That is still a very high percent who are reporting slower supplier deliveries. Survey respondents in the very valuable comments that they, uh, the Institute for Supply Management offers on each one of their surveys, they continue to vocalize a host of supply chain difficulties, from the chip shortage to the quote-unquote crazy high raw materials prices, which they seem to be passing along, to just general comments about supply chain delays and supply chain problems, hampering production capacity. Now, the key question for the U.S. manufacturing outlook is whether these supply chain difficulties will resolve themselves in the short term, or at least will resolve themselves in the short term without policy help. Until that happens, until these supply bottlenecks and supply difficulties resolve themselves, the demand strength is not going to translate to output growth, and the the U.S. manufacturing recovery will remain under stress. We're going to follow it. I'm going to follow it very carefully for you. We're at a pivot point. The manufacturing recovery could be either very strong if supply issues work themselves out, or it could be troubled. We have to follow and cover uh, carefully in the next month or two. Until the next episode, and by the way, in the next episode, I'm going to welcome a very special special guest, Stephen Ezell, who is the vice president 
of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, Washington's leading think tank on science and technology policy. Stephen is a prolific author, a very articulate speaker, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk to him about the future of supply chain issues, about technology entering the supply chain, about what supply chains may um, look like well past this difficult and very unusual period. Should be a good show. Until then, this is Cliff Waldman saying, I look forward to speaking to you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.